All right, well, good morning again. It's great to see you all here today. Uh, well, I'm excited to be here. We are beginning uh, a brand new series today. Uh, I really love New Series Day. It reminds me a little bit of New Bike Day. If you've never experienced New Bike Day, New Bike Day is a great day. You know, it's thankful for the old bike, thankful for the places it took me, but excited for the next phase, excited for where this bike is going to take me. And that's how I feel sometimes about New Series Day. Is, you know, we've been some cool places, but it's always exciting to be on the precipice of what God is going to do in our lives in the coming months. And so for the next nine weeks, we are going to be studying the book of Psalms, this book full of songs of prayer and praise and devotion. And if you've been with us in our previous series, uh, we really kind of dove into the gospel of Mark and talked about this idea that Jesus is king. We saw his kingship in his power, his authority, his goodness, and his grace, and this all culminated in Good Friday and Easter, in Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we come out of that series, hopefully we're at least sort of thinking about these questions. What does resurrection life look like for us now? What does it look like for us to live out the reality of Jesus' kingship in the most important part of our lives? And, you know, I think the Psalms at first might seem like kind of an odd or interesting choice uh, as we seek some answers to those questions. I know for myself it can be easy to just kind of think of the Psalms as like a, a devotional book, kind of a nice, pleasant reading for maybe a quiet time in nature or a spontaneous time of worship. Uh, it's not necessarily the first thing that I think about when I think of spiritual growth and discipleship of applying Jesus' kingship to my life. But the truth is, is that the Psalms are a great place to turn as we think about this call to follow Jesus. Because they help us to address one of the most important elements of a life of faith and obedience, something that's deeply important but that we sometimes overlook. And that is the formation of our inner life, of the soul. The calling for Jesus, not just to be king of the exterior behavior, but of the internal life, of how we think, how we feel, how we deal with, how we understand, how we experience, how we respond to the crazy world around us. Uh, I've shared this many times before, but one of the most important, one of the most significant parts of my life that I spend a lot of time thinking about and focusing on is, is running. I run hopefully about four or five days a week. On average, I run about eight miles a day. And so in any given month, my goal is to run about 150 miles. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And a lot of times people will ask me, people who know that I run, they'll ask me like, hey, what's, what's your secret? How do you run that kind of distance with that kind of consistency? And there are obviously a lot of practical things that we could talk about you know, the technical aspects of running. I could share sustainable training plans and gear recommendations, what kind of music to listen to. But at the end of the day, when people really start to get serious about running, and I really want to give them my best advice, what I always tell them is that you have to be prepared for the ups and downs. You have to be prepared for the fact that there are going to be some days where running feels awesome, where you're happy to be outside, where you just feel like you could conquer the world, and then there are going to be some days where you feel awful, 
where there's nothing you want to be doing less than being out for a run. There are going to be seasons where you just, everything lines up, your work life, your family life, everything just kind of makes sense. And then there are going to be seasons where you're busy, you're stressed, and going out for a run just seems mentally exhausting. And the key is being able to manage those ups and downs. For running to be a long-term, joyful part of your life, it's really not just about all of this. It's more so about this, what's happening in here, the will, the desires, the emotions. I mean, everybody knows running isn't easy, but on top of that, the life we live outside of running isn't easy either. And how we deal with all of that messiness and all of the feelings, all the struggle that comes with that is vital. And in many ways, this is true for faith as well. And you know, obviously the external parts of faith matter a lot. There are practical aspects of Christian living that we need to wrestle with. But at the same time, if we want long-term, lasting joy in our faith, we have to manage the inner life. We have to manage all the stuff that's going on in here. Because at the end of the day, we know that real life and real faith are not static. Our day-to-day experience isn't the same. And how we feel about life, how we feel about God, how we feel about the Bible, how we feel about loving people, how we feel about all of this can change all the time, moment by moment, day by day. So how do we continue to enjoy God, to trust God, when we're sad, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, when we're angry? How do we preserve and pursue moments of joy and excitement, passion? In short, how do we make Jesus the king of our inner life? That's a question that the Psalms can definitely help us answer. Now, just to be clear, the Psalms aren't going to give us really direct instruction or a simple formula for this process. But instead, what they show us is the picture of an inner life submitted to God as king. They show us what it looks like to bring all of this stuff to God in prayer and worship and devotion. And so this morning, we're just kind of going to dive in just a little bit into the book of Psalms and begin to explore this relationship between the Psalms and the inner life. And my hope is that through our time this morning, God begins to prepare us for what he wants to do, begins to prepare our hearts for this process. So let's begin with a little pop quiz, something to test your knowledge of the Psalms. Uh, If you are new to church or don't know a lot about the Psalms, don't worry, this is not a serious quiz. There's only one question, and I don't really, I'm not really going to ask you this for an answer. This is just for fun. So this quiz, quiz has one question. What modern musical group shares the most in common with the book of Psalms? So the Psalms, if you don't know, are, 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 it's a book of songs, basically, that God's people would sing together as a community. And they were meant to be sung and accompanied by instruments. So where do we see some of those characteristics of the Psalms in today's music? Let me give you some options. First, Rage Against the Machine. Not really a very modern group, but this is a popular band from the 90s and 2000s, known for their aggressive style of rock and roll and anti-establishment themes. I only thought of this because 
I was listening to them on a run this week. But here is a clip from one of their popular songs, Sleep Now in the Fire. Alright, so is Rage Against the Machine like the Psalms? Next option, Taylor Swift, award-winning country artist turned pop sensation known for singing about boyfriends, ex-boyfriends, and her general feelings and thoughts about boys. Taylor is a very popular choice in the Katagi house household. Kai wanted me to tell you guys that she loves Taylor Swift. So here's a clip from one of her songs, Blank Space. So it's gonna be I've just been literally the whole clip telling myself, don't start singing, don't start singing, don't start singing. <laughs> All right, final option, Hillsong United. One of the most popular modern worship bands, they've written classic church songs like The Stand, Hosanna, So Will I. Here is them singing uh, one of their newest hits, Know You Will. I see the grave, you see the door, when I'm at my end, you see where the future starts. I don't know how you make go away, but I know you will. Some of you are thinking, man, this is too easy. He's trying to trick me, and I am. So is it Rage Against the Machine? Is it Taylor Swift? Is it Hillsongs United? Or is it D? None of the above. Is it E? All of the above. Or is it F? F is, this is kind of a nuanced question. All of these artists probably share some similar themes with the Psalms, but at the end of the day are vastly different, so I'm kind of hesitant to give you any kind of definitive answer. I think the answer probably fits somewhere in between E and F, but let's talk about it. Let's explore this a little bit. Now, let's, what are the Psalms? Why were they written? At the most basic level, the Psalms are a book of prayers and praises from the life of ancient Israel. The Psalms were not all written by one person, and they weren't all written at one time. They're not really in chronological order, and they don't fit any nice, neat structure as you move from the beginning of Psalms to the end. Instead, this is a compilation of different songs, prayers, devotions from throughout Israel's history. There are actually about 800 years worth of prayers and songs here. As a lot of you know, many of the Psalms were written by King David, uh, but a lot of them are, we don't know, or there's just a lot of authors who contributed to the Psalter. And this is a really important idea to consider this not as one person's perspective, but as a larger body of work that reflects Israel's prayer and worship life. These Psalms are not written to tell us how to respond to faith in one particular situation or through one historical period. Instead, they give us a larger picture of what faith and worship and prayer can look like throughout the ups and downs of a lot of years, a lot of situations, a lot of people's experiences. And when you consider the Psalms as a whole this way, one of the most striking things about them that we see is the wide range of human emotion. What we miss sometimes is that the Psalms are not just a bunch of 
everything is great worship songs. Instead, they reflect the ups and downs of life, the good and the bad. Just think about King David. Again, King David wrote about half of the Psalms uh, in the Psalter, but King David's life was the epitome of up and down. Now, on one hand, he was the greatest king in Israel's history, so he had some pretty good moments. But, man, there were some serious downs, some serious struggles as well. Think about how hard his life must have been. He started off as a lowly shepherd boy, the youngest of eight brothers. And then he goes from that to killing a giant with a slingshot and a stone to becoming the king of Israel. Imagine trying to deal with all of that. He spends years on the run from the powerful King Saul. He endures personal failure and sin, first with Bathsheba and then in his later years watching his family basically fall apart, his sons fighting with each other and betraying him. And the Psalms reflect this kind of experience, the fact that real life, real faith are often deeply chaotic. And what they show us is an internal emotional life that is deeply impacted by that chaos. And so what we see in the Psalms is a picture of prayer and worship that is full of very deep, honest, and raw emotion. Now, obviously, the Psalms aren't exactly like Taylor Swift's music. I don't think there's any Psalms about bad breakups. But at the same time, what they share is a desire, a willingness to be vulnerable to be raw, to share an openness, pain, disappointment, frustration. And this mirrors what many people love about Taylor Swift's music. And the Psalms are definitely very different from Rage Against the Machine in some very important ways, but they also do share a similar level of, at times, anger and passion. One of the things that we see in the Psalms is frustration over sins like social and economic injustice. We see the psalmist at times angry at God himself, frustrated, accusatory. There is a surprising, sometimes shocking amount of rage in the psalms. And just to be clear, the worshipful tones of Hillsongs United probably best capture the heart of worship and praise in the psalms. But what they miss, what makes them not necessarily a perfect match, is that there's not always the same level of honesty, emotion, pain and struggle, anger and disappointment. What we see from the Psalms is this kind of internal chaos. So let's uh, turn to a Psalm in our Bible. We're going to look at one particular Psalm that demonstrates this kind of honest emotion before God. We're going to look at Psalm 55. If you guys are ever nervous to bring your Bible to church because you think like, oh, what if I can't find the verse when he says it? This is a good series. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. You know, you ever do sword drills, you just open up to the middle. It's right there. So bring your Bibles for this series. You'll be able to find all the passages. Psalm 55. Uh, This is a psalm that's attributed to King David, and it laments uh, the pain and anger of betrayal, of injustice. And again, we see some raw emotion here. Psalm 55, verse 1. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. 
Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If if a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my closest friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. We can see that there is an intense depth of emotion here. Words that, you know, we don't even really use anymore, like anguish and distraught. You could tell he's feeling it. And by verse 15, by the end of the section we just read, things have gotten pretty dark. He says, may death take my enemies by surprise. But this is the reality of the psalm. They don't pull any punches. They don't pretend that everything is okay, and they don't bring some clean, sanitized, proper version of faith to God and leave the real self behind. The Psalms are a picture of real humanity, the real up-and-down emotion that comes with them. Sometimes we doubt God. Sometimes we're super thankful and happy. Sometimes we're angry at God. Sometimes we're disappointment, disappointed with God. Sometimes we feel frustrated, but sometimes we're content and at peace. Sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes we're overjoyed. Sometimes we feel all of those emotions in the span of a, of a day. And what's clear in the Psalms is that having these kinds of emotions is not a flaw to be fixed. It's not a problem to be solved. This is a part of the whole package of ourselves, our lives, our hearts that God wants to love and reign over and redeem. Eugene Peterson says this, In the Psalms, we pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. And that's a really important component of the Psalms, is this kind of honesty before God. But here's the important thing. The Psalms are not just about honesty about our feelings. They're not simply about coming to God with all of our junk, all of our mess, and just complaining and laying it all out there before him. You know, I enjoy secular music as much as anyone, but ultimately the problem with a band like Rage Against the Machine or even Taylor Swift is that they lack the ability to truly transform and heal. They can tap you into the emotion, but a lot of times what you're left with is, what do I do with all this? A lot of these songs kind of have the feeling, ultimately, of singing into the void and waiting for an answer that never comes. If you start off mad when you sing Rage Against the Machine, you're just going to be more mad at the end of it. 
you start off sad when you listen to Taylor Swift, you're going to be pretty sad when you're done with that album. But the Psalms have a different purpose. The Psalms are not simply about experiencing emotion. Ultimately, they're about experiencing that emotion in the presence of the wholeness of God, in the presence of him as king and savior. And so what the psalmists do is, is two very important things. First, they are honest about themselves. They're true to their emotions and struggles. But second, they are honest about God. There is a deep conviction to be true to who he is, to say what's true about his character, about his works. Let's go back to Psalm 55 here. And again, this isn't just David complaining. It's not just him venting. Instead, he's bringing his inner life, all this junk to God, and saying, in spite of all of this, I know who you are. In spite of all this, I want you to reign over how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. Verse 16. This is right after he just asked God to bring death to his enemies. He says here, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of all, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days, but as for me, I trust in you. See, again, David is honest about his struggles, but he is also clear-eyed about the one he's praying to. He says, God, I know that you're with me. I know that you hear me. And I know that you are still the God who saves, the God who redeems. I know that you are king, enthroned in heaven, the great and perfect judge who sees all people's actions, who sees hearts, and you are just and fair. And because he knows this, because he brings all of this to God and he, he, he believes this about God, he can say this with confidence. He can say this with the same honesty as the rest of his complaints. He says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. As for me, God, I trust you. Ellen Fro says this, the Psalms give us permission to be in flux while simultaneously pointing us to the unchanging stability of our Creator. The Psalms let us rant and weep, sing and scream, laugh and lament, all with an eye to heaven, knowing that our help comes from the Lord. And this is why the Psalms can be such a vital part of the Christian life, of spiritual growth, of living with Jesus as King. Because really, it can be so easy to lose balance between these two things in our relationship with God. I think at times when we pray, when we worship, it's tempting to, again, bring this kind of clean, sanitized, proper version of ourselves to God. 
Maybe we overemphasize certain parts of his character, his holiness. We overemphasize uh, the need for reverence. And we end up hiding a little bit. I have this image in my head of my son, Grayson. And, you know, he's only seven years old, but he's already getting this idea of, like, and like sometimes maybe I shouldn't show emotion. And so when he's sad or when he's feeling something, you know, sometimes he'll come to us and he'll just cry, but sometimes he stands there and you can see it's happening and, and, and he begins to turn or, or he takes his shirt and, and covers his face and he just, and it breaks your heart because you know, all you want for him is just, just to bring it to you, but he, he can't quite admit it. And that's the image I think we have sometimes is, is that God maybe is going to be mad or, or that there are certain things I can't say to God or that he's just going to be frustrated that I'm feeling this way again. But for whatever reason, we hold back all of it. All the junk, all the, the bad thoughts we have, all the sinful feelings we have, all that stuff. It's like, well, I'm just going to keep this aside and bring the good stuff, bring my worship, bring my prayers for this or that. And so we end up bringing something less than our authentic selves. Or at other times, what we can do is we come before God and we're an open book. We share all the feelings. We share all the thoughts. We lay it all before him. We say, God, this is me. This is where I'm at. But what we can forget to do is to listen to God, is to seek out who he is, to be true to his character, and to allow that truth to speak to, to bring life to, all the emotion, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the suffering, all the struggle. When we do this, sometimes prayer is just a long gripe session, or it's basically just us making a wish upon a star without any real consideration for who God is. And ultimately, we need both sides of the equation. Honesty about me, honesty about him. Both are necessary for transformation, for a vibrant prayer life, for genuine, transformative worship. And that's what we want for our lives. That's what we want is to bring our whole selves, all the spheres of our life, under the rule and reign of the king. So as we close this morning, as we prepare to step into this series, what I want to do is, we just begin to think about this, is challenge you to immerse yourself Immerse your heart and your mind in the worldview of the Psalms. In this way of thinking about prayer, this way of thinking about worship, this way of thinking about your relationship with God. Uh, I read a story this week about uh, this author who went to seminary and was in a class by Eugene Peterson, who's a super spiritual scholar, pastor. He's written a bunch of books. He did the message translation of the Bible. And he said this class was awesome. It was called Biblical Spirituality. And it was basically this broad, sweeping exploration of life and faith and, 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 and a vision for how to follow Jesus. And again, he thought it was great. But at the end of the class, he was a little bit put off, a little bit disappointed. Because he said at no point, at any point in this series, did Peterson say anything about like practically how to do this, like how to implement this in real life. And so the last day of class, he raises his hand and he asks uh, his professor, like, hey, so how do we live this out? Give us just one practical way to respond to what you've taught us. 
And he says that Peterson thought about it for a second and responded and said, tomorrow, read Psalm 1. The next day, read Psalm 2. The day after, read Psalm 3. When you get to the end, start over. Thank you and good night. And there's something really powerful about that. Because what he's saying is that the Psalms have a way of bringing biblical spirituality, this life of faith. The Psalms have a way of bringing it to life. And so I want to challenge you in the next, in the coming weeks to read one Psalm a day. Tomorrow read Psalm 1, the next day read Psalm 2, the next day read Psalm 3. If you do that every day throughout the entirety of this series, that'll be 63 Psalms. And then when we get to the end of the series, hopefully you keep going and then maybe start over when you're done. And you know, some of the Psalms are going to be confusing. They're not going to make perfect sense. Some of them uh, won't always be easy to read. But the power of this is, is seeing it as a whole and, and again, immersing ourselves in this worldview and beginning to be changed by this way of interacting with God. Uh, I started doing this a couple weeks ago as I began to prepare for this series, and it's been awesome. It doesn't take a lot of time to read one psalm a day, other than on the 119th day. This is uh, pretty easy, and so you can do it. And I have noticed how it gives a voice to my inner life and the different ways that I am meeting with Jesus the King. So let's go ahead and close in prayer and ask God to meet us in spirit and in truth through this series.